beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. Okay, and welcome, TCAF 2017. Sam. Hey. Uh, you, of course, are also named Sammy. Do you prefer Sammy, Sam? Uh, I don't prefer any of them. I don't care one way or the other. Okay. You know? Simple man in complex time. <laughs> yeah, anything's fine. All right. Samuel. Because my name is a Sammy as well, so I just wanted to see if there was similar experiences. Are your parents Egyptian? Yep. They are. So when I was in Egypt, that was the one thing everyone kept saying to me when I introduced myself. was like, oh, you have an Egyptian name. Are you Egyptian? Yeah, because Samuel ends up more on the Jewish side of things. Right, right. My dad's from Baghdad, but still it wasn't. Sami is like a very Egyptian name. I don't think it's uh, an Arabic name so much. No, I'm not really. Maybe they just like Sammy Davis Jr. And then (laughs) (laughs) that's where it just kind of caught on. Omar Sharif is like the big name there. He is the big name, they too. May, uh, they mentioned him a lot. They he was men- the big movie star. He was the big movie star. In 2000 when I was there, yeah. There's weird gaps, like, with uh, my parents. Because, like, they know Frank Sinatra. They know uh, Rolling Stones, Beatles, obviously. But then any of that stuff around that era, too, like The Who, Led Zeppelin, that stuff didn't get over there at all. Wow. So there's, like, these weird... Why do you think that is? I'm not sure if it's just distribution or maybe just, like, it was just... Well, Led Zeppelin's weird, too, though. I don't think the censor board knew how to, how to, to deal do, with that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how bad censorship was, though, in Egypt at that time. Yeah. I don't very know. Lo- I, felt, I felt like it was a very um, open country, especially yeah. as you got like off to like Alexandria and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's also compared to some of the other places in the Middle East, right? It's a lot more oh, relaxed yeah, yeah. and a lot more totally. Western. And- totally. Yeah. Well, Frank Sinatra's better than The Who anyway. Well, that works then, yeah. Okay, that interview's done now. That was, uh, <laughs> that's all I needed to put it on the record. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the Egyptians got it right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that works. Uh, what about your parents, though? Did they have, like, gaps at all in their, like, pop culturism? Or is it just, or they're just not pop culture people at <sighs> they're all? They're not pop culture people at all. Uh, my dad grew up in Baghdad, like, moved to Israel as, a, like, a refugee and then moved to Australia as a teenager. And I think that whole time he was always just hustling, trying to make money and work. And I don't think he's ever been interested in any culture beyond the music of his like grandparents. Yeah. You know? So if you go to his house, there'll be a copy of like Adam Sandler's click. (laughs) There'll be a Rihanna CD. Mm -hmm. Like he literally just looks like if you go to his shelf, it looks like the shelf of an alien who's come to earth and (laughs) just wants to blend in yeah or like a time capsule almost he's just like what are people into what are they like but really what he genuinely likes is like traditional music from the middle east yeah you know and my mom she's into country music that's it that's a weird gap well she's from new zealand right yeah i know that makes sense she grew up with like you know country music and folk music so she's into that that's it it wasn't you know i don't know i feel like my parents were just working all the time and so these like yeah there weren't a lot of books in the house i don't feel like they ever went to the movies it was just like work and sleep and children yeah it's that immigrant kind of hustle right when you come to the new country you just gotta head down work up yeah and like yeah like what they do in their spare time is have family over yeah and people cook and eat a lot that's yeah this is one of the best parts of the culture though yes food is like number one yeah totally what about you now? When you're uh, writing and drawing comics, do you listen to music at all? When I'm do- well, like the first part of it, when there's when I'm just writing, 
you know, I can have music on, but it's, it's more, uh, background noise. I'm not focused on it at all. And then once the sort of heavy lifting of figuring out the panels is finished, then it's listening to a lot of music, podcasts, whatever. But like late at night, for sure, there's certain things like early Brian Eno and the fall, anything fast mm-hmm. and crazy is good. Um, Ty Siegel and stuff like that. Rock music. Just to keep you up because you're just like, oh, I just need to ink this page. That's the immigrant hustle again, right? Just got to get it done. Got to get it done. <laughs> you hear it done and do it well. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Has it gotten easier as you've been doing uh, kind of independent comics? I guess, is, are you considered independent comics or have you kind of quote unquote made it now? No, 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 no. It's absolutely alternative comics or independent comics. Um, uh, yeah, it gets easier. I mean, the challenges change. There are different, there are things, there are aspects that are always difficult and always because your, 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 your reach always extends beyond your skill at any level. But yeah, a lot of the problems now aren't like, Oh, how do I draw this? I can practically draw what I want to draw and I can sort of plow through a page pretty quickly. But as you get older, you know, the work hopefully gets better and more complex. And so you're trying, you're always doing new things that are always a challenge. You're going to want to wince less, right? That's usually as a writer, I do a lot of writing as well. And when you go back and read something you wrote, even like last year or five years ago or something, you want to wince less. Right. I think that's the kind of goal as you. Absolutely. Yes, that's true. And, uh, I wince less, less at, recent stuff but maybe in five years i'll be wincing more okay not sure you do the howl too i can't believe i put this out no, no. <laughs> i try not to i just go like if the reader is into it their relationship with it is their relationship to it so if i don't like it, it has nothing to do with me i'm like i don't need to disown someone's relationship to a piece of work you know mm-hmm. so i just go like ah, i don't care about it but if somebody likes it that's fine so i try not to think about it too much so you're basically saying you've you had a vision in your head and then you kind of executed it and then it's kind of like well you execute it to a degree and it morphed into something else it never resembles this the idea you had in your mind it always changes as it sort of comes out of you and becomes something else and you know it's like yeah it's it comes out the audience has a response to it it might be the the feedback you might get back is not what you expect or even understand but you figure like you've thrown something out there people have interpreted it they've taken it in and it means something to them now it's a sep- it's separate from you yeah and but you also publish a lot of that feedback like those little sarcastic letters they're kind of very yeah, mad magazine yeah i run the letters any letters that i feel like are good content that contribute to the issue i run I don't really run any just like nice letters. Yeah, there's no like, I really enjoyed the story. Yeah, like no one wants to read that. But someone like yelling at me, I think is interesting or or really analytical. The last issue has a really analytical uh, letter from the cartoonist Connor Williamson. Uh, And then there's an anonymous letter that I got in there where someone called me. That's always helpful. Yeah, yeah, where someone's just calling me names. Yeah. (laughs) Is that part of the reason why it's called Crickets? You're like on a comic book magazine. Because crickets is kind of synonymous when you tell a bad joke, right? Right. And then the audience doesn't quite get it or doesn't... That wasn't the first connection that I saw when I thought of the name. But 
it was like the second or third, and I thought, oh, that's fine. Sure. You know? What was the first, or what was the initial spark? I mean, I was just thinking of a word that I wouldn't mind saying 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 times, you know? And there's something about just the word crickets and the way those letters together, the way it sounds, like rickets, or like the way a wrench. Um, certain, it just makes certain connotations in my mind. Yeah. So for people that don't know, can you explain what crickets is? So it's a one-man comics anthology. So it comes out whenever there's enough pages for an issue pretty much or when there's a chapter done of this long story I'm working on. But it's a one-man anthology in that it can be whatever material, one-pager, short story. Right now I'm serializing a story called Blood of the Virgin. So that kind of takes up all the space in the issues. But other issues could have a whole range of different things in it. And Blood of the Virgin, is that a lot of that being influenced by your own life or kind of inspired? Or like where does that kind of begin and end? Because there's a lot of uh, moments, emotional moments and things like that that feel a little bit more real. That could just be really good writing, but it also feels like you know somebody that happened or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, thank you. It's nice to say. I I think... um, as far as factual reality, it doesn't resemble my life very much at all. That's good because that guy doesn't always have the best <laughs> life. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it doesn't resemble my life. But uh, I think to write a good scene, you have to know the scene and you have to feel it pretty deeply and have a pretty good understanding of the dynamics of the scene. So I feel like it's emotionally very honest. You know, and I think, you know, when people talk about this idea of like, write what you know, I don't think they mean, you know, that's always that thing that everyone says. I don't think that advice means write only about your life. I think you can do a science fiction story that takes place on Mars, but write what you know in the sense of intellectual and emotional honesty, you know. So I feel very close to the material, but, you know, I wasn't even alive when that trip when yeah. that strip takes place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a, he's kind of working on like a Roger Cormany kind of movie too. Yeah. Like that's one of the subplots, I guess, of the, the running themes. Right. He's and, working on this movie called blood of the virgin. Yeah. But from Roger Corman's perspective, do you think that they understood that what they were making was schlocky or cheesy or like, did they think like, no, well, what's interesting about that moment in the early seventies, more the mid seventies, our story takes place just at the brink of this, just at the beginning of this. But these guys, a lot of the people who worked for these smaller film companies in the early 70s, they were the first generation of guys who were into it. They wanted to make uh, genre movies. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make monster movies and gangster movies. Uh, you know, so like Joe Dante, who went on to make Gremlins, started there. And uh, Martin Scorsese started there with Corman. Um, Spielberg had Duel. Spielberg had Duel. I mean, all these guys, they like genre movies. Whereas the generation just before them, that was slumming it, and they wanted to work their way up. The only way these guys wanted to work their way up was to make schlocky movies, but with big budgets. You know, Gremlins and Jaws, basically. You know, or Jurassic Park and Toy Soldiers or whatever. So I don't. I think at the time they were all like, "I don't want to stay here," but they were having fun. If you if you inter- if you ever read interviews with those guys, they were into their work, and they felt that, especially with Corman. They had a lot of free reign, so they could write a satirical movie like uh, Death Race and make something 
that made fun of the culture and played with the culture. And then even the stuff that was just like, you know, I feel like Jonathan Demme. I mean, there was a lot of good filmmakers who worked in that world and they made pretty fun films and they had a lot of space and they definitely didn't look like they didn't look at it like they were plateauing. They wanted to work up, but I think they wanted bigger budgets and have more opportunities. But all those people thought Corman was giving them a lot of space. Freedom for like any creative person, freedom and independence are like almost drugs in a way because those are the two hardest things to get. From a corporate world, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or from like any sort of uh, larger sort of organization, yeah, that's definitely the tricky thing. You know, and I'm sure that a lot of those filmmakers look back on those days when they eventually were working for Universal and Warner Brothers. I'm sure they look back with fondness and they were like, oh man, didn't make as much money, but we had a lot of space. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And the whole focus group thing and whatever and running the test screenings and. Yeah, it's a nightmare. I mean, yeah. I mean, in my mind, they're all those people, their most interesting films are their early films. Do you have any particular favorites out of that group? Out of that world, my favorite stuff were the movies of Andy Milligan, who was basically making movies on his own. They're like as close to folk art as you could get. Um, there's a movie called Messiah of Evil that I love from the mid-70s. Um, drawing a blank a little bit now, thinking about it. Um all the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies yep. are a big influence. Anything where it's like, oh, Town That Dreaded Sundown is another one. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. Well, bizarre way to put it. Amazing. Yeah. It is a fun movie in that it's like bizarre. The, the filmmaker who made it, the guy who wrote it and directed it, you know, he just wanted to make a movie and he lived in Texarkana and he put himself in the movie doing like, um, he plays sort of a silly cop who's always at the desk in the police station. And it totally doesn't fit into the movie at all. It's just like these weird, jokey moments that pop up. But that's what's great about the movie is that it's completely um, made by this one person, you know. And so I find all that incredibly like charming and interesting. Movies as like a really idiosyncratic personal form. You run a cinema, don't you, in Los Angeles? I don't run it. I mean, basically, ten years ago, uh, my brother wanted to take over this existing silent movie theater that had been gone through a bunch of different owners, been around since the early forties. And so I helped him put that together. And then we partnered with another guy who ran a great video store in LA and, uh, we turned it into a nonprofit. So I'm involved on like, I'm on the board and I get to contribute and I help with like any art directing for posters and different merch and things like that. But it's such a full-time job and it would be such a, like, a time it would be it to be a black hole to just fall into. So it's better for me to just kind of just step back a little bit, you know, cause, um, it could take up all my time, but it's a pretty good theater. It's called Cine family in LA. Um, it's on, pretty good. On Fairfax on Fairfax. Yeah. Do you ever get involved in, uh, even just, uh, casually in some of the programming or anything like that? Or yeah. I mean, you, you know, one or two here and there? of course, cause you go in for a meeting to talk about some posters that need to get made and, you're looking at the schedule as you're standing there, and of course, you, you can't help but contri contribute, you know? If you're doing a kidnapping festival or like, uh, holy fucking shit, kids, kids movies, like you start going, like, oh, where's Garbage Pail Kids? That's a classic. There you go. So you're like, I need fucked up kids movies. Like, you're automatically going to start contributing when you see like a whole whiteboard covered in movie titles, you know? 
I mean, everyone has ideas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But those arguments and discussions must be also be fun as well. Yeah, totally. There's not a lot of people that are going to consider like garbage pail kids classic without air quotes. Yeah, I mean the guys who work there are 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 bigger movie nerds than I am, so their knowledge goes like crazy deep. But yeah, totally, it's super fun. So you have crickets, which you described as a one man anthology, and you have another anthology that right. kind of periodically issue. Yeah, I mean that's like uh, tending a garden or something. Uh, I do Kramer's ergot, and you know I just do an issue anytime there's enough material that's come in that's really good that I'm psyched on, and I, it's just a way for me to stay connected with the wider world of comics. And issue nine just came out from Fantagraphics. You said it's a way for you to keep connected, but how are you picking the people or like, cause I mean, you well, have a number of different distinct voices I'm into comics. So it's easy for me to like keep track of all that stuff, you know? So I'm tracking it online. I'm, when I go to shows, I try to look at stuff, local comic shops in LA. I'm just trying to just constantly discover stuff and keep in touch with the cartoonists that are working. And, um, yeah, just try to make it a space so that you have this awesome book that can come out every once in a while that's just sort of my dreamland version of the best comics magazine in the world, you know? But it only comes out once every two years. Be cool if it came out more regularly, but it's just hard to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Are you, I don't know what the word is, but are you kind of like over uh, capes and superheroes the traditional kind of what people normally think of comics or are you tired of them or i mean like- i thought i was but then um michael fife started doing this comic called copra where he basically did like a suicide squad defenders of the galaxy type like super team comic and it was so inventive and amazing and ben sears is doing stuff with like superhero tropes where i'm like oh these are actually good tropes and elements and visual, there's visual components that are super interesting for comics. You can do cool stuff. Both those cartoonists have done cool stuff with it. But the vast majority of it is, like, super boring to me, you know? I mean, I like Alan Moore, but I don't know. And I like some Grant Morrison comics. But it's like... Those are rare. Those also are rare and very cerebral. Yeah, I mean, Grant Morrison, I love his Superman comics. And I like Alan Moore's, like, Watchmen and... Like, you know, some Frank Miller stuff. But I'm not seeing a lot of well-written, amazing comics. Some of the Mike Mignola, like, those aren't even superheroes. I was going to say, like, BPRD. Like, mm-hmm. all the Hellboy offshoot stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, all that stuff is, like, there's always good artists on them. And, you know, I mean, I try to just track people in that world, you know? And there's some, there's interesting people, for sure, in the mainstream world. But very few doing superheroes that I'm crazy about. Doug Mank is the guy who draws Green Lantern. You know his work? Yeah. So he's like a bodybuilder. So when all his characters are like huge bodybuilders, and you know it's all like super authentic. Um, And I've always liked his work since The Mask. And Jeff Darrow, he's awesome. But there aren't many. I don't know. I don't see any of the superhero movies. Like none of it really means anything to me. I don't feel like it's for me. It's kind of like superhero stuff in a way is disposable. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm all about like reading yeah. a comic and then throwing it in the garbage. Right. That's totally fine. That's <laughs> I mean, totally it, fine. It, over the 80s and stuff, eventually we started doing that whole like subgenre of like collecting and bagging and sure. You know what I mean? But everyone like back in the day had action number one, action comics number one, threw it away and. Right. Right. And there goes your whole like. Yeah, I mean, there's artists that I'm like crazy about, but a lot of them are artists that I loved as a kid. You know, I was an image kid. So, like, 1992, I'm 12 years old, and I'm like totally on board. All that shit. Wildcat. Dude, I'll go deeper. It's like Dan Fraga <laughs> and, uh, you know, Marat Michaels mm-hmm. and all those dudes. I was like totally on board. I loved reading all that stuff. But it's interesting how much of that stuff, you know, how much of it holds up. I don't know. Mike Zek did some cool Punisher comics. I like reading them now. Yeah. He had those painted covers, too, for that miniseries. Amazing. Zinnemann was the painter who did those awesome airbrush paintings. Always under ruckus, too, man. Just bullets flying. Yeah, yeah. Crazy (laughs) stuff. Um, He also did the Craven's Last Hunt, too. I never read that because I was never a Spider-Man guy. But I kind of want to read it now because I love his artwork. Yeah. You know? But, like, Mike Zek... There's not many. There aren't a lot. Mike Zach, Mike Golden, you know, Jim Lee is cool, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like, when I look at this stuff now, I'm not crazy about Jim Lee, but at least there's, like, it structurally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Rob Liefeld's, like, as close to we have to, like, a camp yeah. artist. He's turning into, like, Divine. The pouches and the big muscles, skinny legs. Yeah, and, like, people, like, know it sucks, but they like it anyway. It's become, like, um, it's campy, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um. Yeah, I don't know who else. I don't know. You have to be kind of an idiot to want to work on like X Men. Like you have to be coming at it from a completely different angle, where you want to work on like a corporate character, and just like make your page rate and then move on. Like it's an entirely. It's something I don't understand. And the longer I think about it, I'm like, oh, this is like insane. This is what I was saying about like Chris Bacalo was another one I really yeah. liked. I loved his work as a teenager. He's very fluid and kind of lost Dude, movement. he did some great stuff. He did like he would do one-offs of like Batman that were amazing. Um and then he did Gen X. Was that Gen X? Yeah. God. I thought that stuff was so cool. But this goes again to what I was saying about like freedom and independence because if you do work for an X-Men book or a Spider-Man book, it's like, well, you can't have this character or we can't do this part of the storyline and like it's just a lot of no's. Like, yes, you get to work on Spider-Man, and it's amazing. But then there's the all these... Editor. Lines. I mean, uh, but you know, it's like... I don't know. Anytime I've worked at an animation studio, you just feel like you're a cog in a wheel. And you're not really necessary. You know what I mean? And, like, I guess that's fine if you don't have aspirations to say... To do anything with your work. Like, you, if you don't have something you really want to get across, but you love to draw... It's great to work in an animation studio or to draw a book for one of those companies. But, you know, like Bill Mantlo, the guy who created... Uh, Rom. Yeah, Rom, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, that dude is like, you know, he had a brain injury in the mid-90s. His family's still trying to raise money for him. And, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is making billions of dollars. And I know, like, according to the law, he's getting everything that he deserves or whatever. But it's just like, ugh. Man, like to sign up to that, I know, just kind of sucks. Well, I mean, the the two guys sold Superman for what was one hundred thirty bucks or something. Yeah, and then they what when the movie came out, they 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 tried to get a little bit more. They got two hundred thousand bucks. I'm, I'm sure they felt like that was a lot of money. Yeah, well, even one thirty back in like nineteen like forties, right? Right. Like, like, only Bill. Only what's his name? Kane. Yeah. Bob. 
Bob Kane was the only one who was savvy enough because his dad was like, his dad or his uncle was a lawyer and knew how to like organize it right from the beginning. But he's the only cartoonist who ever, who, who ever made sure that his name was credited on, on any time you saw that character and always made sure he had a good deal. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't even his character. Not really. It was Bill Fingers. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> what a world. You know, I, it's interesting because we, it would be, it's fat. Have you talked to anyone who draws mainstream comics now? Because I'd love to know how they're like, yeah, I'm creating characters from Marvel and I'm okay with it. Maybe the deals have changed. Maybe they're on board. To me, it seems like a losing battle. It's kind of like a thing where you have to, uh, look, you have to put the pluses in the column and then the minuses in the other column. Right. Because you do get a bigger audience sometimes, especially if it's an X-Men book For or sure. Spider-Man. And that then allows you the freedom to kind of go do other things too. Like Ed Brubaker, for example, did a lot of great Daredevil, a lot of X-Men, right? Really got a big fan base. And then, then he can go over to Image and kind of... And I guess it's fine. I mean, Ed, if you love Daredevil and you're like, I know how to approach this character. I know it as a reader, what I want to see, and I can really approach it. Then that sounds great. You know, in that context, it makes sense to me. But when I step outside of that context, I'm like, it's crazy to me. Those characters can't even change. So you literally, it's almost like you're doing something super existential Mm -hmm. where you're like, I'm going to write a novel where the character is going to go through all this stuff. And at the end, he's just like, keeps going. It's like he was the same as he was at the first page. I mean, the guys who work with this stuff the best is like, you know, maybe Grant Morrison. I love that Superman comic that he did with Frank Quietly. Mm-hmm. Mark start. Miller is also, like, really awesome. Yeah. Like, he knows how to make a great, like, page turner. You know, because that's all you want. When you say disposable, I think that's what you mean, right? Like, something that's just enjoyable to read. I pick these comics up. I pick them up in, like, a, in a comic book shop, and I'm just so full of, like, dialogue. I'm like, oh, this is so much fucking talking. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, bullshit going on. But the authority or something like that is super fun. Yeah, that, that was a great one. That's Wasn't that lot, awesome? That was a good solid, like solid sci-fi story. Right, and what Jupiter Ascending was like the last. I think that's the last Mark Miller book that I read that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's like following certain artists, following certain writers. You know, I'd love to know where all the guys I was into as a kid are. I don't know. Like, does Dale Keen do anything anymore? Yeah, he surfaces every now and then. Drawing the Hulk, or does he do, do like something else? Um, different things, but some, a lot of covers too, mainly. So, right. One of the things that most people don't talk about is kind of what you're talking about is like a burnout rate after a certain point. It's a those guys work super hard, and they can make a better living doing like video game design or storyboarding. There's all these other industries. The guys that are interesting to me are the guys who love comics, like they love it, and mm-hmm. so even though their page rate. Is like 400 or 500 bucks a page. They're just super into it and they do them monthly and they're just super committed. The guys that would be interesting to think about are the ones that get better. Duncan Fregredo. Fregredo. Which one's that guy? He's done some Hellboy stuff. Oh, okay. He's kind of a, like a super amazing. Guy Davis has mm-hmm. done a lot of Hellboy stuff. You know, I'm interested in those guys because they seem to get better and better. But, but Hellboy's kind of set up like Roger Corman in a way, like Mike Mignola. Like he just kind of lets you have the character a little bit, and you kind of get to run around in this playground. Right. It doesn't seem like from the interviews and stuff, the way people talk, like he has a lot of like... What happens, though, if like Lobster Johnson or... I guess he invented Lobster Johnson. Mm-hmm. But what happens like if John Arcudi comes up with a character 
and then it gets put in a movie one day. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's Mike's, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, yeah, or like, I don't know. can you kill a character or something like? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Can you kill lobster? And this is like, I don't then, know. Because I remember when when like Spawn started. Well, when all those image books started after one year, all those guys started hiring other artists. Yeah, because it's just the burnout rate again. It's the burnout like, rate. Yeah. Is like I'm not doing. It. And you can get checks no matter yeah. what. Like you can put Jim Lee's name on a book, and you can put McFarlane's name. It's like the Stephen King scenario, right? Where like. You could slap your name on the cover and it'll sell. At least there's a base minimal level of sales. Right, right. Yeah. Huh. What a world. Yeah, I, it, to me, I like looking at it from a distance. I have no interest whatsoever to ever do any of that stuff. You know, when I was 14, like, I would have loved to have draw, drawn Batman or something for DC. That would have been, like, a cool idea. But, yeah. God bless him. <laughs> But when you get to work from for Kramers and you see other um, comic book artists and writers and creators, does that inspire you and to kind of keep going with your work, or does that make you more hungry or more restless? Yeah, I think it's maybe it's it's in a sense it's creating a context for my own work. You know, you see all this great, personal, awesome, crazy comics, and you're like, Kramers is a way to unify them all. And for sure, I think I get energy from it to make my own work because I'm like, oh, I want to be a part of this this is like a, an amazing context to exist in you know yeah do you have an end in for uh blood of the virgin or yeah yeah do you have an end in mind or? yeah 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 so i've always known the basic outline of the plot uh and it's just i work on it scene by scene so some of those scenes end up being really short some of those scenes extend out into a whole issue and so yeah i have an end in sight I'm hoping two more issues, and then it'll be like a book. You know, it'll be all be collected into a graphic novel. And then, do you have any plans for the next story, or are you just? Gonna... I do. Oh, look at you go! Yeah, 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 man. You're hustling yeah. too. That one will be, um, I think, a book about Iraq. It'll be interesting. Yeah, Iraq, social media, faith and violence those kind of all go together right now they do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right we'll have to look forward to that but today you didn't just come alone i know you and i've been talking but you brought a friend with you <laughs> you kind of brought a friend with you i think if, he's shy though you want to say hi he's not shy he's he's yeah, over hi. it he's bored He's bored? he's not bored here. Yeah, mm. it was a long day, you know, walking Decaf. around, looking at comics. Yeah. Uh, introduce yourself, though. Uh, I'm Kevin Heisinger. I draw a comic called Ganges. A bunch of other things. How was your tea calf? I was. It was inspiring. I liked looking at all the work. I love these kind of things. I love comic books. You know, mm -hmm. I love looking at all the the people's work and. Um, I like looking at the younger kids' work. I like seeing old friends. Um, I think comics is pretty healthy right now. I don't know what I, you know, there's a lot of good work, interesting work, like more than you can keep track of, or that I can keep track of anyway, or I can like afford to take home, you know, all the good books with me. It seemed like, you know, in the older days, you could kind of get all the good books. Yeah, I found this, this year's TCAF a little overwhelming. Just like how many different floors and like, that you walk past one booth and I'm like that stuff looks amazing. And then you see another booth and I'm like, oh man. And it's like, 
you know, you don't want to do the open buffet thing where you just grab everything and then you just kind of like OD almost on all this stuff. Like you don't have time to properly digest it and kind of sit with it. Yeah, and also like there's a good crowd. There's a big crowd and there's, there's kids and there's younger people and there's, yeah, it's interesting. It's good. How did you two guys meet? You guys have been kind of like sidekicks for a while. <laughs> Fighting crime and drawing comics. Yeah. We're How lovers. We, how did we meet? Uh, comic conventions, probably. Probably comic convention like 10, 8 years ago. Eight, you know, something like that. Because you start seeing people at the same things. And Kevin was doing amazing comics. And I think I asked him to be in Kramer's. And I was buying comics off the Catastrophe shop. Just organically, you know, you meet people in your world. You know, so we've been friends a while. Excuse All right. Me. We'll end it there because a nice positive note. So I don't know if we solved. Friendship. Yeah, friendship, love. No, I think we solved it. Basically, draw comics for Marvel if you want to. Okay, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> like, you said it. You said there's like a plus column. Yeah. And there's a minus column. Correct. And if, you, if you're going to like get whiplash and be like, oh my God, I didn't know. Like, it's too late for that. Right. Right? That's what it sounds like what you're saying. Yeah. Don't so be surprised cool. if you jump in the pool and you can't swim. Right. Exactly. And if you're on board, dude, kill it. Because that area totally has room for amazing work. Because so, so much of it feels just ha hacked out. Yeah. You yeah. know, like the great stuff that's great really sticks out, I think, because you can tell like, oh, this guy's really on board. He's into it. Yeah. And I think a couple of things, too. Sometimes there's like little ninjas that kind of sneak stuff by past the editors of past the are you thinking about the guy the indonesian guy? oh no no not that guy no that was like no no but i, I thought that was really like, funny yeah that was a weird controversy no i meant more that like was the, weird the just the kind of the quality of the storytelling what you're talking about too like the best stuff was like the thing that blew my mind i'll say the last great this is a couple of years ago was jason latour yep did a punisher issue yes, with correct. connor williamson yep that was a single issue barely had any words in it blew my mind there was a punisher there's two issues of the punisher that frank taran drew war journal issues maybe issue 95 and 96 mm -hmm. where it was just two issues where the punisher in the very first pages he falls through he's chasing someone falls through a skylight lands in a fight club situation and it's a room like of like a thousand criminals watching a kick fighting match and the punisher has fallen in and they all just want to kill him and it's like two issues of him just trying to get out of this warehouse. You know, anytime where it's simple and you can just sort of track like good cartooning, it's the best, you know? All right. That's positive too. Let's end it there. Yeah. Good um, luck, mainstream superhero guys. <laughs> We're all watching. All right. Thank you, Sammy. Thank yeah. you, Kevin, for coming in and uh, talking about comics and movies and uh, the Revenge of the Monster Kids, I guess, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs>